episode three, and um, the topic of today is, is Joe, how did you start in cybersecurity, and what what drew you towards this uh, this awesome field? So, Larry, you're probably going to have to cut me off, because I could probably talk about hours about myself. You know, they say, psychologists say everyone, you know, loves talking about themselves, right? So I could talk for days, but, you know... I first started to get interested in cybersecurity probably in the seventh or eighth grade. Wow. So this was back in the day when computers, in order for computers to connect to each other, um, you know, in the 90s, we had to use what was called a modem. modem. And a modem would actually use a phone line. And what's really funny is millennials who are listening to this podcast, yeah. they don't know about landlines because they grew up on cell phones and, and you didn't have a landline in your home. And honestly, I haven't had a landline in, you know, probably, I don't know, 15 years. In, exactly. In and so, but I grew up and you had a landline and you'd plug this modem into the landline and that's what your computer would use to connect to other computers. And so in the, I guess, seventh grade, I actually turned my computer into a small sort of almost like internet hub. Uh, back then it was called a bulletin board system. And so people would actually dial my phone number of my home for their computer to connect to my computer, and we would exchange messages. Oh, wow. And that was actually prior to the concept of email. You, oh, would, wow. you would basically leave a message on that computer, and then they would hang up their phone. Someone else would dial in, and then they would leave a message. They would hang up. And basically, I had about 300 subscribers to my bulletin board oh, that's interesting. when I was in seventh grade. And these were people in my city. Because typically back then you didn't have you, you didn't want to dial long distance, right? Yeah. So it was people in my hometown, they would dial into my computer and we would exchange messages. So the term um, for being a bulletin board operator was called a sysup, a system operator. So I was I was technically a sysup of my own bulletin board. And what was really liberating about this whole experience is no one knew my age. Wow, that's amazing. I learned how to type, and people thought I was a grown-up. And it was really cool <laughs> being a kid, having these mess, you know, conversations, and you know, learning about computers. But I had to learn very quickly how to defend my bulletin board because there were hackers back then. So I got oh, wow. into cybersecurity in about the seventh grade because I had to learn how to protect my home computer from bulletin board hackers because that was actually a thing back then. And we used to actually have a forum area to talk about hacking, how to hack a bulletin board. And we had, uh, you know, all this. So I literally grew up in, in cybersecurity and, uh, you know, in, in high school. I was actually a volunteer in the computer lab at school to harden the high school computers against hackers because there was, I went to a pretty large high school, like maybe 2,500, you know, students and oh, wow. some of the students were hackers and they wanted, they wanted to actually try to disable the, the computers Computer and, and change the grades and stuff like that. So <laughs> literally the, the high school uh, had me do that. Um, to some extent, I worked with the district a little bit uh, when I was in high school. Wow. Um, and they actually asked me how I hardened uh, the computers because they wanted to use the same techniques on some of the other computers. And, um, and then when I was uh, 15 years old, 
one of the software companies that the school district used to um, you know, have come in and work on their computers, uh, I noticed there was a gentleman and he was in there and he was typing and, and, I, and I was kind of just looking over his shoulder to see what he was doing. And I, and I think I made a comment like, you know, you could probably do that a little faster if you do this way. And I, and I said, you know, step aside. And I went in there and I showed him something. I didn't know it at the time, but he was the CEO of a software company who had, who had just happened to be there. And he told me, he said, I want you to come work for me. Wow. And so the, that, that summer, my summer job at 15 years old uh, was to go in and I, work, I, I was actually hired as a contractor by this, the, by this company um, to basically uh, take data and, and write uh, computer codes to translate that data into different formats. And so um, he hired me to, to come in and do that. So I got started at a pretty early age. Um, I think as a sophomore or a junior in high school, I started taking junior college courses on networking. And so back then it was called Novell Networking. And right. that was, you know, you would use typically Novell Networking to network computers back then. Uh, this was, you know, 1995. Is there any difference from networking back then and now? Is it totally yeah, different yeah. with the different systems? There, there's like a lot of differences. Um, both uh, we call uh, layer one networking. Uh, back then it was uh, coax cable. So right. coax cable... Um, was you know something that you'd plug into your back of your TV, like cable television, right? right? So we actually used coax cable to network computers together, and they would plug in um, with these BNC connectors. Uh, BNC stands for uh, British Naval Connector, I think. BNC wow. and uh, yep, and ten base uh, ten base T, I believe, was the physical kind of cable that would network computers. And then the protocol, the networking protocol back then. Um, was uh, called SPX or IPX SPX, and that was a Novell networking protocol. It was basically kind of like a competitor to. It was an alternative to TCP/IP, uh, which we'll talk about later in, in uh, maybe a future episode. So back then, the networking protocols were different in the local area networks, um, and uh, you know if you wanted to have a computer communicate with a remote machine typically it had to be over a modem and so that's kind of how I got my start I got my start at a very young age um I definitely you know I I have to you know admit I you know came from a household of privilege my dad was an engineer at Hillett Packard oh, okay and so I was brought up with a computer in the house which is definitely a huge privilege right right and so with that computer in the home um I would take it apart and my dad taught me a couple of DOS commands. So DOS, uh, disk operating system, was uh, the uh, precursor to Microsoft Windows. Windows. So prior right. to Windows, there was something called DOS. And so I, I learned... I remember that. I thought, oh, you know, Yeah, I learned DOS commands at a very young age. Um, and uh, I used those DOS commands to figure out all the other DOS commands. So like DIR, I'd go into the, the Windows um, or the, the DOS uh, directory, and I listed... And I, at the time, there was like 34 uh, DOS commands. And I then ran each DOS command to figure out the syntax of how each command worked because I was just very curious and interested in what they did. So I taught myself um, 
the commands in DOS to become an expert in them. And then I, you know, used to automate the autoexec.bat and config.sys and, and the different ways that computers would start up. And so that was all in middle school. And then when I got into high school, I got into sports, so I had to kind of balance the hobby. So computers were, was always kind of a hobby, hobby to me, but I did play, you know, varsity baseball. Uh, I played varsity football. Um, I played, I did one uh, thing in varsity basketball uh, one season. Um, awesome. So I, I played a lot of sports, so I, I kind of had to balance out, you know, the, you know, competing out. So that was kind of a hobby. And then, um, you know, in, in college, I at first majored in computer science for a very short period of time because I, I, I saw the name computer in computer science. And so I thought it meant something totally different than it did. I thought you would actually learn about uh, computers and different stuff. And it's really all math. I didn't, okay. I did not know that, but a computer science degree is, is almost purely math and programming. Oh, and, that's it. and here's the thing about me is, you know, I am not good at math. Um, I did not go very far in math in high school. I think I did. I, the farthest I went was maybe like geometry. And so no pre-calculus, no calculus. And so I'm not good at math. So when I got into college and I became a computer science major and some of the courses, um, they actually required that you, you had to have previously had um, at least some calculus. So I got into some of these classes and it went right over my head, Larry. I was like a fish out of water. I was like, I, I do not belong here. I failed those classes, so I had to change my major. So I had to get out of computer science because I, I you know, yeah, I was, was kinda... so into sports in high school. And you know this is an athlete, right? Mm -hmm. I was so into sports in high school that I was taking pretty much like, you know, like foods, foods. and and I had like three when it had home ec. Oh yeah, I had like three different gym classes. <laughs> like I, I had the I had the classic athlete schedule that exactly. did not emphasize math. So when I got into college, that was a problem for me. I had to you know I had to like change. Even though I love com computers as a hobby, because I didn't have the math, I had to basically kind of um, you know figure something else out. So. I ended up, you know, that's probably a, a story for a different podcast, but right. Um, so, how did you go from not knowing math and not having uh, a degree, or to get into this career? To right. get into okay. this career, so that's a that's kind of a cool story. So, as, as, as I told you, I was I was an athlete, right? So, my mm -hmm. um, freshman year in college, I was a pitcher uh, for the team. Uh, and I, re I remember there was this alumni game, and one of the older uh, alumni, you know, once a year during this alumni game, um, he went up there to bat, and I threw my best pitch, and he took it. I think he one-hopped the fence on me, right? Oh, wow. He, hit, he, he just crushed my best pitch. <laughs> and something switched in my brain immediately. I, I still remember. It was on the field, and I realized I better figure something else out. This baseball thing? It ended right here because if someone that old who plays once a year, Larry, once a year, turned on my best fastball, I realized it, huh? I need to figure something else out. So, so immediately I realized I need to um, have a plan for my life. And so while I was going to college um, for, I think I changed my major to, um, I think like business information systems, which is like business is a major and then like um 
a little bit of information systems and, and programming, programming as, as a secondary like kind of major. So that was kind of the, the major. And also the, the college I went to, um, Biola, um, required that you have a minor in biblical studies. So I have 30 units of biblical studies. So I learned like New Testament, Old Testament, oh, um, awesome. and, uh, which was really cool, right? So I had that. But, you know, on the, on the field that day, I realized I need to figure something else out. So let's, let's switch on yeah, over from, you know, from baseball and to, I got to get, I got to figure something. So I realized, well, I have this hobby of computers, right. That I'm, I, you know, I, I had taught myself how to type and I, and I loved, you know, and, and I had worked in high school for that, for that one, um, software company. company. So I did some research and I found that there was a school in, I believe it was Brea called the Software Education of America, SEA. And they were teaching courses on Microsoft uh, certification. At the time, it was called the Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer, MCSE. And that, that certification still exists today. Oh, wow. And so this was back in, uh, we're talking 1996 now. And I, I went and took classes at night and on the weekend um, at this um, certification school. While I was going to college, I also um, the got the Microsoft, Microsoft certification. So back then it was on, um, it was called Windows NT 4.0. And Windows NT 4.0, a lot of our listeners have never heard of this, but no. this, this is before... Windows 2000. A lot of people remember Windows 2000 or Windows right. 2003. Um, this was the operating system right before Windows 2000. And it was the server equivalent of Windows 95. So oh, okay. if you had a Windows 95 computer, uh, it was probably connecting to a server called Windows NT 4.0. And they, oh. they shared, I think, some similar kernel components. But anyway, so... I got the Windows NT 4.0 MCSE at the age of 17 because I was a pretty young uh, freshman in college. Um, I was not yet 18. And then that summer, the next summer, I needed a job. So I started interviewing and I noticed that the only thing they really cared about was the MCSE certification. No one cared about the college degree. No, right. no one asked if I was in college. college. They, they saw MCSE certification, and I started um, getting these interviews. Right. The, um, I, got a, I got a job uh, as a Department of Defense contractor in, um, in the Los Angeles area. Awesome. And I also got a job uh, offer from National Cash Register, NCR. I ended up taking the job at NCR, and that was my first. Um, that was my first job. So this would have, this would have been now, um, uh, you know, still in my teens, and it was a forty thousand dollar per year salaried uh, job back then, which was really good money. It's really good money. Really good money, and I'll never forget. This is, you know, on a super personal note, um, my dad told me, he said, son, I'm, I'm really proud of you. Oh, wow. And that was, that was something I, I, I hadn't really heard 
that from, you were from my for, dad before. That you was looking for it. Didn't when you heard it, it was kind of like I was like, like wow, wow, this this is this, this is, is great. cool. I you know maybe I maybe I don't even need to you know finish college. No, I ended up um, staying in that job, and then instead of being a full time student, um, I actually work? became a um, part time student. Part time student, and I kept that full time job. And I never looked back. So I ended up getting a four-year degree six years later (laughs) Um, because I became a part-time student. Right. So I got a college degree in 2002 uh, from Biola University. And my official college degree is called Organizational Leadership. And I have a minor in Biblical Studies. Okay. So my formal college education has, nothing to, has nothing to do with computers or security or anything. Um, but both of those degrees have helped me out professionally and personally. Uh, biblical studies, you know, I love God. You know, Christianity is a big part of my life. And so I was able to really study the Bible, you know, quite a bit. Organizational leadership has really helped me understand people to be a good leader. Um, you know, there's a lot of human resources part of that. So that was that program from Biola was called the organizational, uh, the Biola organizational leadership degree or bold and bold allowed you to, um, work full time and then one night per week. And on Saturdays you would actually take your classes. So it was made for working adults. Oh, what was really funny was I was still a young kid, but I was using, and, and so what this ended up being, how did that work out? This was awesome because I ended up getting a college degree and less time and less money than having gone to a standard kind of four year school. school. So I totally hacked the system there. You know, I got this, I got (laughs) this like good sort of experience while I was working and I was really enjoying it. So, um, so this job um, it was actually a, uh, essentially a PC support job. So my role at NCR back then was I would get a ticket assigned to me from the help desk saying this person's computer needs the software installed or, or this is not working. I would go and troubleshoot it, try to make it work. So I was basically working on the windows operating system and on average, I would fix like 60 tickets per month. We were rated based on, you were measured based on um, your customer satisfaction score. So when you solved a help desk ticket, they would rate your performance on a scale of one to five. Right. And so we always tried to have really good customer service skills, try to uh, get there as soon as we possibly could, as soon as the ticket was assigned. So I basically did about 60 tickets per month. Within about six months, they... Uh, made me a supervisor and uh, I was managing three people um, and uh, loved the management aspect of it. I definitely attribute a lot of my baseball career and sports Sports. to being a team oriented person. person. Being a pitcher, I was a leader on the field, right? Yeah. And so it's like being the quarterback in football, like being a quarterback in football. And so, um, so now I'm leading and then, uh, I didn't really um, get deep into information security until about 2004 when I studied a certification called uh, CISSP. 
So uh, CISSP is Certified Internet Security uh, Professional. And it's back then, it was actually regarded as the toughest, the hardest uh, security certification that you could get. Oh, wow. It's still regarded pretty highly in security uh, circles. Um, Maybe not so much as it was back then um, because the reality is you can study for about six months and you you can achieve this certification. Um, Oh, wow. You know, so it's not impossible. Um, So in 2004 is when I got my first kind of certification in security. And... I, uh, you know, that's, that's basically how I got into it a little bit. Um, now my, my first sort of, um, you know, official, uh, role, um, in security probably didn't happen until maybe about four years ago, officially, because prior to that, security was always maybe just a part of my job, but it wasn't my full-time job. Right. Because in my career in, in competing, I've actually held different roles. And, you know, I've been a manager, I've been a director, um, and now I'm a CEO. But in, in each kind of role, security is always really important. But, really but I've never really done it full-time until about four years ago when um, starting my own business and needing to basically find a direction and a focus and a mission for the company where now security is our mission. So the official like mission statement of, of the company uh, that I own is, is um, helping our clients manage their cybersecurity risk okay. by secure deployments of Office or Microsoft uh, cloud <clears throat> technology. So... Uh, we happen to be a Microsoft partner, and we help customers deploy their Microsoft security solution, solutions, so we do that full-time. In the last four years, Larry, we, I just looked at this number the other day. We've actually completed 466 projects wow. for 213 unique companies because we just celebrated That's our, our uh, four-year anniversary. We, we looked back and looked at all those numbers and all those projects. So we've, let me tell you, uh, in the last four years, I have gained tremendous knowledge and experience in cybersecurity um, because now, you know, we do that as, as a business. It's we a actually, business. we focus on that. When I, when I was an actual employee, I always kind of, you know, you know, I had the certification. I was always kind of doing that a little bit. But now as a business focusing on that, you know, is really our, <laughs> our main focus. Now you're in cybersecurity. That's your main yeah. thing you do what is what do you feel is the most challenging part of it being in it staying on top of the latest threats you know I mean it really takes daily um, staying on top of it you know in, in technology you know if you think about like consumer technology major trends change pretty regularly the right. iPhone totally disrupted you know before that it was like Blackberry yeah. and, and you had maybe you know other types of devices right so you have these trends security is moving at probably six month or less cycles now where you may have the very best antivirus product in the market today right 
and hackers can basically completely make that obsolete in about six months now wow. because of just fundamental flaws in it. And, and so, like, I'll give you a great example of that. I know some of this is going to be completely new concepts. Some of the language I'm about to use, I know, is, is going to be totally different. But I just want to expose you to some of these concepts, right? Um, whitelisting security solutions were based on a concept that code should not run on a computer unless it's on an authorized list of, okay. of what was called a signed executable. So a software developer would write an executable, they would sign it, and then the computer uh, antivirus programs would say if the code that's trying to execute is not on the authorized whitelist, don't allow it to run. And that type of uh, program was used to protect the CIA, the FBI. Uh, it, the, the very top um, companies in the world would use whitelisting security solutions um, you know, and, and I'm talking about in say, say 2014, 2015, this was definitely all the trend, right? What happened is hackers figured out that all I need to do is figure out a way to get on that whitelist and then I can get into those, and then I can get into those systems. So they basically started, um, infiltrating companies who had those signed executables we call that a sideloading attack or even a supply chain attack where you compromise a company, say like Citrix or someone, you inject your code in there and then anyone that downloads that and uses that is, is now um, infiltrated. Uh, this is how Iran uh, compromised the White House Communications Agency and the, um, uh, the I believe the DOD uh, missile defense systems. Um, they, Iran actually wow. got in there uh, uh, this was reported, I believe, last year or the year before, because Iran infiltrated Citrix. And they had been in Citrix for 10 years, Larry. 10 years. Just figuring it out. They, the reason why they hacked Citrix is because they knew that Citrix software was used inside of the White House, and they, they knew it was used inside of the DoD missile defense. So instead of attacking the whitelisting solutions that those Directly. organizations were using, they attacked a software company that they knew was trusted by those agencies. And so as you can see here, you may have the very best security system at the time, but hackers will always have the advantage because... That's what they're working on all the time. They have a tactical advantage. As a defender, you have to get your job right every single time. An attacker only has to get it right once. And so we will always be at a disadvantage when it, in, in cybersecurity. The attackers will always have the advantage there. So that's just a great example to tell you that the hardest thing to answer your question in cybersecurity is staying on top of those things because um, the, the, the moment that a exploit is released to the Internet, it takes about three days for an attacker to figure, um, figure out how to weaponize that um, that patch. So I guess let me rephrase that. The moment Microsoft releases a patch, it takes a uh, malware researcher um, about three days to reverse engineer the patch to figure out how do I exploit this. And uh, Marcus Hutchins, for example, uh, last year, I believe while his trial was pending, um, he saw Microsoft release a 
uh, a patch for a vulnerability in DHCP, and within like I think like three days, he had already written a you know found a, a way to exploit that. Wow. And so, if you took a three day vacation and you're a CISO or you're responsible for security at an organization, a patch could have been released. A hacker could have already found out how to build a a cyber weapon to exploit that. And they could have already infiltrated your organization if you took a break for three days. Wow. So, so like we, we say like companies, <clears throat> a lot of them, they use systems like Norton and, and you know, all these, you know, antivirus. Yeah. And, you know, we take off malware, we can remove malware and all this stuff. Are, are those systems any good? Are they are they better than the the whitelist? So there's some argument. This is going to sound interesting. There's some arguments out there that would say they're worse. In other words, if you have a, a classic antivirus program running on your system, you actually may be more vulnerable having that than not having that. Now what? Now what? Why would that be? It's actually because those systems themselves. Um, have historically had um, hundreds of vulnerabilities. So, for example, I'm going to pick on Semantic and McAfee. Right. Semantic and McAfee used to be historically kind of the leading antivirus companies in the world. So if, if you were running a company five or ten years ago, you probably had Semantic or McAfee antivirus uh, protecting your computers. Well, hackers figured that out and they thought, we'll just find vulnerabilities in Semantic and McAfee. And they started writing exploits to get into the computer based on vulnerabilities in the actual pro- So how ironic is that? You actually, you actually have a security program on your computer and that program is actually what leads to your computer getting hacked. So therefore, having you know Norton or something on the system... Uh, as you mentioned, is uh, could potentially actually make the computer more vulnerable because that's kind of older technology. Antivirus to me is dead. Um, antivirus is built on a blacklist concept that has kind of been obsolete now for about eight years or more. A blacklist is all of the files that can't be trusted because they're known to be malicious. Right. What and about the ones that's not? Exactly. And so... Blacklisting was kind of replaced by whitelisting, and whitelisting has already been, um, you know, shown to be ineffective, and and therefore uh, we're now in this new world um, called endpoint detection and response. So th- this is now pretty much bleeding edge. There's there's basically four or five vendors in the space. Uh, Microsoft, CrowdStrike, Sophos, and Trend Micro are kind of the top four EDR vendors uh, as uh, Gartner uh, kind of ranks them. Gartner is kind of this market analyst that kind of measures and, 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 and kind of uh, analyzes uh, software. And they basically said those are now the kind of the top companies. So historically, you had blacklisting solutions and then whitelisting solutions, and now you have these EDR. So what does EDR do? EDR is called Endpoint Detection and Response, and it's based on this concept that, you know what, historically everything's always failed. There is no way to really prevent malware from getting on the machine, 
So we're just going to assume that the machine's going to be infected. We're going to assume breach. And now we're going to look at the behavior of the machine to, to determine okay. if it's been infected. Okay. So is the machine uh, communicating with Russian IPs? It's infected. Let's, let's cut it off. You see the difference there? Instead of trying to protect the system, it. it's going to basically assume it's going to happen. And based on the behavioral anomalies and behavior, the characteristics, that's how you determine that a machine has been infected. And then you lock it down. Then you isolate it. Then, then you try to clean it up. It. Right. And so that is actually where security is today. When we're talking about... Which is more about, effective now than it was. Yeah, that's the best thing we have. Which is kind of funny. It's really a defeatist standpoint at that point. Defeatist right. in the sense that, hey, we're going to get hacked, right? Let's at least try to find out that it happened. But that's, that's literally... Uh, today, the most effective way to defend a computer is with one of those EDR um, systems. Now, defending a computer is only one small part of defending a computer network because you have firewalls, you have intrusion detection systems, you have many more aspects that kind of get into overall defenses. And we call that, that's another concept called defense in depth. Defense in depth is like an onion where you have all these layers of security. And that way, if, if, they, if one layer is penetrated, hopefully one of the other layers isn't penetrated. And so what we're talking about is a layer protecting the computer because we have to assume that all the other layers are eventually going to get penetrated. And at the end of the day, it's someone clicking on a phishing link or malware or virus and whatnot. So you know what I think would be a good... Um, topic for the next episode. What is phishing? What is malware? What is viruses? Because today on this episode, we really talked about my story. We talked about, you know, a few things, but I know you have some questions about phishing, malware. Yeah. And and just viruses. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Till next time. Yeah. Next time. Tune in. (laughs) Tune in.